it all starts with a positive test. Then, months go by, and eventually one day, the child who was living in utero makes his or her way into our living room. Tears are shed, lots of them. There are sleepless nights, lots of them. There is endless noise, lots of it. And most parents have that fateful day when they realize that they are going to spend a lot more time dealing with human waste than they ever expected. And of course, there is laughter, joy, and love. The relationship between parents and children is a sacred one. And it's the one that we'll turn our attention to this morning as we continue our journey through the book of Ephesians. We've made our way up to chapter 6. And at this juncture, Paul is continuing to explain to us what it looks like to walk wisely in this world. That is, uh, to live wisely in light of the evil days in which we live and in light of the spiritual warfare that is constantly swirling around us. He gives us two injunctions to help us understand what it means to walk wisely. He says, don't be foolish, but know what the will of the Lord is. And he also tells us, don't be controlled with wine or any other substance, any other thing, but rather be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. He then tells us to pursue the fullness of the Spirit in a few ways. He says, by singing and making melody to the Lord and to one another, by giving thanks always for everything to God, and by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He expects us to be doing all of these things, you'll notice, together as we gather together in order to honor the Lord Jesus. He then begins to give us a little bit more explanation about what he means when he tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, uh, submitting to one another as you strive to serve one another with that Philippians 2 mindset, considering one another's interest ahead of your own, it doesn't mean that you just do away with all the relationships that exist. In fact, it doesn't obviate or eliminate human relationships at all. There is an authority structure that God has built into humanity. And so he begins by addressing three of those relationships or those spheres of life that are most important to us. He begins with husbands and wives. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. And he says, husbands, love your wives sacrificially as Christ has loved the church. Explains to us that marriage is a gospel drama. And these roles which are fulfilled by wives and husbands help to give us a picture of of what God's love for us is like, about what the union between Jesus and His people is like, about what the love of Christ is for each and every person who has faith in Him is like. It's a wonderful picture. Then he moves on to where we are today to tell us about the relationship between children and parents. Now, I had uh, 
what I thought was not that grand of a plan of covering four verses this morning. Um, but as sometimes happens during the week, I realized, you know what, uh, I have two sermons here instead of one. Uh, and so we're actually just going to focus on verses one through three and primarily be addressing the topic of children, uh, as Paul does here. And so uh, with that in mind, you can look and see that your main idea is there. I've tried to summarize it for you in a sentence. Uh, children should participate in corporate worship, obey their parents, and honor their parents. Children should participate in corporate worship, obey their parents, and honor their parents. And then the exhortation for you all is to support children. And then for older children, honor your parents. And for younger children, obey and honor your parents. Let's pray and we'll begin. Father, we thank You for the great privilege and grace of calling You Father. Lord, it is marvelous to know You. I mean, this is eternal life, to know You and Jesus Christ, Your Son, who You sent to live a perfect life in our place, die a substitutionary death in our place, and rise from the dead so that all who have faith might have a place in Your family. We thank You that You have saved us not because of anything good in us, but because of Your goodness. Lord, You have been so good to us. We pray this morning that You would draw us once more into that dangerous duty of delight. That You would cause us to delight in the Lord Jesus more and more. We thank You that Anyone who comes to Christ, anyone who's drawn by you, Jesus says he will never cast out. Lord, we thank you that there is mercy enough for sinners like us. When we confess our sins, we thank you that Jesus is just. He forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we pray that once more this morning we would, we would feel you tracking us down our hearts are prone to wander, and you are the good shepherd. You always track us down. You are the hound of heaven. You always track down those who belong to you. Lord, we pray that you would do these wonderful things once more this morning through your word, that you would excite within us a deep passion for you. Help us to love you more deeply. Revive us, God. Give us Your Spirit. Be present now as we listen to Your Word. As I preach, we pray that it would not be the voice of a mere man that is heard, but Your very voice. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. It is unexpected and extremely unusual for Paul at this juncture to address children. 
Children are never addressed in the household codes that we find in the first century. In fact, children are thought to be not even really citizens at all. In the first century, there was a very low view of children. Don't forget, we even see as as children are trying to come to Jesus at one point during his ministry, his disciples are going, no, 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 don't, don't, you need to give him space. Keep your kids away from Jesus. Kids, stay away from Jesus. And Jesus then rebukes his disciples and says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. And then he teaches a lesson. He says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He holds up one of the lowliest members of society, as a a model of faith. As a model of what we must be like if we are to enjoy and know God. If we are to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' attitude towards children has clearly impacted the early church and the Apostle Paul himself. It really is a huge deal that he would address children. John Stott comments this way. He says, It was a radical change from the callous cruelty which prevailed in the Roman Empire, in which unwanted babies were abandoned, weak and deformed ones killed, and even healthy children were regarded by many as a partial nuisance because they inhibited sexual promiscuity and complicated easy divorce. Thankfully, children are not as despised as they once were in our contemporary culture. However, the presence of abortion and the worship of sex without consequence proves to us that we haven't come quite as far as we might think. Children are still sacrificed on the idol, or on the altar to the gods of unbridled sexual promiscuity. Children are sacrificed to career and to comfort. The only difference between a lot of the first century practices towards unwanted children and ours is the moment at which we kill them. They killed them after birth and we killed them prior to. Church, we must be those who rightly value children. One of the things we learn from Paul's address of children here is that children are valuable. And just like men and women, they are little men and women, they are made in the image of God. They are worthy of dignity, honor, and respect from the moment of conception until the moment of death. From womb to tomb, people are worthy of respect and dignity and honor simply because they represent God. Church, we must be a people who rightly value children and who speak truth into a culture that can't even tell the difference between boys and girls any longer. A culture that that rejects biological realities that exist within the womb. And we must resolve to serve and support children by serving and supporting those who support them. There are a number of ways that that we can do this. We can give to families that are struggling, single mothers of our time and of our resources. 
We do the same thing for pregnancy support centers, volunteer. We can give ourselves to foster care and adoption. Caring for the least of these. And you can even do foster care where it's just a, uh, like emergency basis. You have them for a weekend until they can find a home for them. Most importantly, we need to pray. Pray for social service workers. Pray for women who are in crisis, who are so troubled and, and beaten down that they think the best option for their lives is to kill their own children. Let's pray for them. And let's pray that those who have had abortions would know the love of Christ. That they wouldn't feel as if they have a weight of sin that is a scarlet letter which cannot be removed. A weight that is bearing down on them for the rest of their lives. Let's pray that they would come to know the love of Jesus Christ. That they would know Jesus died for sinners like them. Jesus died for women who had abortions and He's died for men who have mistreated women. Jesus has died for all kinds of sinners. You can't outsin the grace of God. And so we want to pray that these women would come to know His mercy. That they would know the heart of Jesus is gentle and lowly. That He binds up wounds. That He doesn't snuff out smoldering wicks. We want to pray that they would know the grace of God. That we are all sinners. That all of us have fallen short of God's glory. All of us have rebelled against God's created order. None of us have acknowledged God in the way that He ought to be acknowledged with all of our lives and all of our hearts. All of us have committed cosmic treason and are worthy of an eternity in hell. Hell is God's right response to evil and it is what we have earned by our rebellion against Him. And yet, while we were still sinners, while we were warring against God, He sent Jesus to die for us. For all who would repent and put their faith in Him. Friends, we, we want to pray not just for women in crisis, but for everyone. For ourselves that we would know Jesus, that we would know God has provided a substitute for our sins. A sin-bearer. One that would be crushed beneath God's wrath so that all who come to Him in faith might enjoy God's blessing. Church, we want to pray that for ourselves. We want to work towards helping those women who are in crisis pregnancy situations to, to know that truth. We want to support children in our community and, and within our church. We want to be a people who rightly value children. They're made in the image of God. Worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. And the second thing I want you to notice just from this first word in the passage, children, is that Paul not only thinks children are worthy of being addressed, but that he is in fact addressing children. Right? This letter would have been read in congregations front to back 
And he expects children to be in and among the congregation. Paul's expectation is not that the children are are hidden away in some corner where they are not seen or heard from. His expectation is that there would be children among the Ephesians in the church service, able to hear and heed his instruction. Make a quick caveat here before we move on. I don't think this means there's no place for children's ministry in church. That would be pretty poor form of me and poor planning on my wife's part to have a children's ministry meeting uh, just before we come to this particular passage. There there is, of course, a place for age-appropriate instruction. There is an age also at which, I think Paul is telling us, we should expect our children to be in worship with us. Indeed, I think this passage legislates against separating out children of a certain age from our gathering. You go, the question, of course, is, well, well which age? Right? What's the age? I think typically here, we've shot for seven-ish, right? And we've kind of designed our children's program around that. A point at which a child is able to um, understand an instruction from their parent and then decide whether or not they're going to obey that instruction is usually a pretty good bellwether about whether or not they're able to sit through service. We, what we like to leave that option open to parents, right? Some, some like to bring, have their parents in, in children's ministries a little bit later than others, you know, eight, nine. Uh, others of us, I know, have, have had infants in here from day one of the time they were born, if they sat through service. That we want to allow, um, levity is not the right word there. What's the word I'm looking for? Latitude, maybe? Latitude for parents to decide about how they want to train and teach their children and how they want to take advantage of the resources uh, we are making available to them. Now, with that caveat in place, we need to come back to, to what's primary here, is that Paul assumes that whole families will be gathered in one place of worship together. He's speaking to the congregation, and he is speaking to children. They are there. That means we should welcome children into this worship service. We should encourage children to participate in this worship service. But but kids won't learn if the teaching is not age appropriate. The singing, the praying, the preaching, it's just just not on their level. They could never do it. This sort of objection is is a little funny to me uh, because we always expect our children to um, go to school at a very young age, now younger and younger, preschool, and to be able to, to learn all the things that are there, right? Expect them to learn a great amount of literature, to learn to read, addition, subtraction, algebra, American history. But when it comes to theology, well, that's just too hard. We need to separate them out from the congregation until, you know, they're at least 16. I think that thinking reveals an inversion of our priorities. Again, there are times where age-appropriate instruction, but corporate worship is a unique experience. It is a blessing of God. I know sometimes it might not feel like that, but read Hebrews 12. 
and catch the author's majestic vision of what it is is happening when we gather together here to worship the Lord Jesus. It is a unique experience and we ought not rob our children of it. Yeah, but, but they won't get everything in the service. I love what John Piper says here. Of course the service is over the children's heads. It's supposed to be over their heads. They are beginners. The English language is over their heads when they come out of the womb. But we don't say, well, let's put them with other children in their own situations and limitations so they can understand a word or two. No. We immerse them in the English language every day. And for a while, they do not understand most of it. But we hope and expect them to grow up into the joyful use of the English language. Long before children fully understand the words said and sung in the service, they are absorbing tremendous amounts of valuable experience. See, corporate worship, this time together, helps to teach and train our children about how to worship. It helps them to learn the language of worshiping Jesus. Yeah, pastor, but, but young children are such a distraction. They run around and they fidget and you know, they crinkle up bottles like mine do sometimes. Rip paper into little tiny shreds. They're always sucking on candies after they finally get them out of their purse. Wait a minute, that's you all. Children are not a distraction. They're disciples. Children are not a distraction. They are disciples and they should be enjoying this time together with us as we learn about God, love Him more deeply, and offer Him the worship that is rightfully His. I always love what Dan says. Uh, he says, children are not a distraction. They're an attraction. We want this space and this time to be welcoming to our children. And I, I am thankful uh, that I feel like Rockfish has been pretty good at this. There are some places I know that you go and if a child makes a peep, there is this immediate turn of necks. Everybody's face looks the same direction and they give the, the classic, um, very Christian stink eye, right? All together. They kind of stare them, let them know like, hey, you going to shut the kid up? You know, what's going on? I'm glad that doesn't happen here. I'm glad that, that most all of you respond to children with, with big smiles. We want to create an environment that allows for children to grow into true and faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus. This is what an implication of Paul's addressing of children here. And it's also the pattern that we see laid out throughout Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 9 through 13. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi who carried the Ark of the Covenant, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones. 
and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to possess. Again, a similar description is given us in Joshua 8, verse 35. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Then again we see in Nehemiah chapter 8. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, that's little ones, children, on the first day of the seventh month. I believe the pattern of Scripture and Paul's instruction here bring to us a need to welcome children in our corporate worship services. That is against most of the pragmatic thinking of contemporary churches. But most of the time, pragmatic churches are not concerned with what is right or what God has commanded. Our job is not to make ourselves most comfortable, but to make ourselves as obedient and as conformed to the Word of God as we possibly can be. We need to commit to supporting and welcoming the training of children during our corporate worship hour. There are benefits to this. First, children learn the importance of corporate worship said this already, but this time is unique and has unique blessings. The preaching of God's Word, the singing of the Scriptures, prayer, the sacraments, all of them teach about who God is. This is an experience we ought not steal away from our children. Secondly, children learn from God's Word proclaimed. Are they going to learn everything? No, but neither do you. Are they going to learn many things? Yes. Again, the same is true of their adult counterparts. Hearing God's Word faithfully taught will shape God's people. Romans 10 tells us that faith comes from hearing. And when we come together here, one of the things we are committed to doing is hearing from God's Word. And we believe that God's Word preached transforms lives. We believe that God's Word brings dead people to life. That it is the means by which God's Holy Spirit removes from some the metaphorical heart of stone and puts within them the metaphorical heart of flesh. It is how God takes us and arrests us, captures us, and leads us into paths of righteousness, into trusting the Lord Jesus Christ with our whole lives. Friends, children learn from God's Word proclaimed. And then lastly, of the reasons I've enumerated here, children learn from their parents and others how to worship. Just like they learn English. They learn the language of worship from watching mommy and daddy. This time is a key opportunity for training and evangelizing our children. Enjoy what Alistair Begg has said. His patterns of public worship 
are put in place by parents. It is often said that young people are dropping out of church. I love this. He says, young people are not dropping out of church. They never dropped in. The pattern of worship has never been established by their parents. That on the Lord's day, we gather with the Lord's people to hear the Lord's word and to worship the Lord. And so, they never connect the dots and make that kind of logical connection which says, if I am the Lord's, then it would be strange for me to remove myself from the Lord's people, the Lord's word, and the worship of the Lord on the Lord's day. We want to welcome children among us and encourage them to worship, the good, the, worship God together with us. And don't be deceived, parents. We're going to talk more about you next week, parents. But your children are not going to be amazed at the grace of God if you are not amazed at the grace of God. They are not going to be dazzled by the Gospel if you are not dazzled. So if on Sunday morning you are looking for excuses to stay home and you are dragging your feet and you are not excited and you are bored and you are just coming here and it is drudgery for you, it's going to be drudgery for them. The most important thing you can do for your kids to help show them that they ought to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Walk wisely. Be full of the Spirit of God. We want to welcome children. One more quote, this one from Dr. Moeller. Wherever children are to be found, they are to be welcomed by Christ's people. Christ's people are to be more welcoming than anyone else to children. Our churches should not be places where adults cannot wait to put children away in order to get to the adult tasks of worship. One of the scandals of so much of evangelicalism is that we send people to their rooms as soon as we get to church. Now, I'm not arguing against the utility of a nursery for infants, I'm not arguing against the appropriateness of special programs to teach children. I am saying that when you look out at the church and you look at a congregation, you should see the congregation. You should see young people. You should see young couples. You should see older couples. You should see old people. You should see children. Brothers and sisters, let us rightly value children. Let us encourage their participation together with us in corporate worship. Let's support the children among us. Now let's get to what Paul says to the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, all of us are children. I know it's hard to believe some of us were children once. But all of us have a mother and father, and so these, this command has some bearing on us all. Now, Paul is addressing younger children. It's quite clear from the context and from the word used. But that doesn't mean that the rest of us go, well, I don't have to honor or obey my parents. Now, the, the Bible does make a distinction between honoring our parents and obeying them. And so, one of the ways I've tried to say this is, all of us are called to honor our parents 
for all time. And while we are living under our parents' authority in their house, we're called to obey for a time. Like what D.A. Carson has to say about grown children. So grown children in Scripture are not necessarily commanded to obey their parents. In fact, from the beginning, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. In other words, a new union sets up. If you're an older parent, do not think you can control the lives of your grown children. That is unwise. It's not biblically mandated. But you children who are grown up, you owe your parents honor regardless of how good or bad they were. Regardless of how faithful, how wise, or unwise, you owe them honor. They are your parents. So, older children, how are we to honor our parents? What are some practical ways we can honor them? I think it's pretty simple. It's pursuing relationship with them. Taking seriously their counsel. I always think there's this really funny thing that happens uh, when you're a teenager, you think you know absolutely everything. And there is no one dumber in all the universe than your mommy and your daddy. You've got it figured out. But then there comes a time as you grow, maybe graduate college, take a job, where all of a sudden that flips and you realize, my parents might just be the smartest people I ever met. We're going to honor our parents by pursuing relationship with them. Taking counsel from them. I think really simple things like, I don't know, returning their phone calls. And if they figured out how to text message, texting them back. I want to pursue relationship with them. And then one that, that is, like those are just suggestions, like you could not text your parents back and not be in sin. But to honor our parents, this one's a non-negotiable. We're to care for them in their old age. We're to care for them in their old age. Now, for some of us, it'll look different. It'll look like taking a parent into our home. For others of us, it'll, it'll look like helping them to find a place in a care facility and visiting them frequently, making sure that they are well tended to. How we care is negotiable, but that we care for them is a non-negotiable. Remember the, the Pharisees uh, try to get out of caring for their aged parents by uh, putting it under a religious guise and Jesus rebukes them? You can't get out of that by declaring all, these, all this money, Corbin. You need to care for your parents. Jesus also sets for us a powerful counterexample. When Jesus is dying on the cross for the sins of his people, when he's suspended in the air on the brink of suffocating and blood and sweat are dripping from his brow, when, when he's dying for you and me and whoever will trust in him, Jesus lifts his eyes to his mother. John 19, 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. As Jesus is dying, 
He is making sure that someone else will do what he cannot. Honor his mother. Care for his mother. Friends, we ought to love and care for and honor our parents like Jesus did. When they are weak and need us to change their adult diapers and roll them to the restroom and wipe their brow and change the bedpan, all all the things that, that go with that, we need to remember that they once changed our diapers and wiped our noses and cared for us. When we were at our most weak, our parents loved us. And likewise, we are to honor them by caring for them when they are at their most weak. I'm not suggesting this is easy, but I do think there are two things we can do um, to help in this endeavor. One is to keep the gospel first and foremost in our minds. Remember that we were unable to make ourselves right with God. Weak. And it was then that Jesus died for us. That Jesus has helped us in our weakness to make us alive to God. And likewise, we ought to love our parents with that same steadfast love. So remember the Gospel as you care for aging parents. And then secondly, make use of the resources that God has given you. No, there are some caring for parents now where there is a financial strain and maybe relational strain. That There are difficulties there. And one of the wonderful things God has done is He has, he has taken you, if you are a Christian, and He's united you together with a bunch of other Christians in a local church. And one of the reasons for that is so that we might build one another up in love. So that we might encourage and serve one another. Friend, I know this is hard for some of us. Ask for help. You don't have to do everything in your life alone. And that includes caring for and honoring older parents. Don't rob the church of an opportunity to serve you and to honor God. You don't have to do it all yourself. In fact, Jesus died not so you could silo yourself off and do everything on your own. He died in part to bring you into the community of the church. Lean on His everlasting arms and lean on His people. Ask for help. We want to honor our parents for all time. To respect them for all time. And, if we're under their house, we owe them obedience for a time. Not forever. Uh, some of you children who are living with your parents right now, uh, yeah, that's you, Adeline. I saw those eyes. And Elliot, that's you. Living with your parents for a time. And during that time, your job is, is, is really simple. You just got to do what they say. You got to obey them. And there will come a day, for most of you, when you'll move out of their house. 
And at that time, you won't have to offer them obedience each and every time. You won't have to honor them. But you won't necessarily have to obey them. Obey your parents. You go, well, why would I want to do that? Well, I want to do what I want to do. Well, Paul gives us three reasons for obeying our parents. First one, verse one, you can see it right there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for or because this is right. It's right to obey your parents because this is the way God has designed that relationship to work. It's right to obey your parents because when you are obeying your parents, you are conforming yourself to God's will for you. It is right. And so you obey your parents when they say, because I said so. Because God said so. Secondly, Paul gives us another reason. He's quoting here the fifth of the Ten Commandments, right there in verse 2. And some of you will remember when we walked through the Ten Commandments, we tried to use, it's, it's not a mnemonic device, I don't know what it's called when you use like gestures in your hands to remember things, but we kind of used our hands and some, it's not symbols, but hand gestures uh, to remember the Ten Commandments. Do you remember like, worship one God, right? and then we made a little dog hand with the other one, you see his little mouth moves, they don't make any graven images or bow down, right? We're going to worship God in the way He's prescribed. We're not going to worship idols. We had three fingers up. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't pat on our lips. And the fourth one, fourth one was like this, and we said we're going to make ourselves a little pillow, and we're going to, we're going to rest on the Sabbath day, keep the Sabbath day holy, right? And some of you adults were learning those Ten Commandments for the first time. And then the fifth one, I mean, I, I'm seriously, we're going through the Ten Commandments. I'm like, I know them, but I can't get them in order. And, and but this, this has helped me, right? So the fifth one, this is the one we're not going through all ten. We're just going to get the fifth one today. And we just take those five figures. We, we do a salute to our parents. Honor your father and your mother. This is a command. And so we obey our parents because it is right and because God has commanded us to. And then you'll see this third reason there in verse 3. Paul says, Obey your parents, for this is right, it's commanded, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. So Paul says, Obey your parents because it comes with a great reward. What Paul's done here is really interesting and kind of confuses most interpreters because he takes a, a piece of Deuteronomy 20.12 and then he takes a piece of the command Exodus 20.12. And then he takes a piece of the command from, from Deuteronomy and he kind of mashes them up together and he drops off part of it. And part of the reason for that is so that he doesn't want us to think like, all right, uh, I'm going to the promised land in Israel. If I obey my parents, I'm going to live forever and ever. But neither is he completely spiritualizing this promise, I don't think. I do think we, it's important. I need to pause us for a second here. Every promise in Scripture not all of them are like hard and fast one-to-one. -one. Do you know what I'm saying? Some of them are more proverbial in nature. So for instance, Dan read for the scripture reading, train a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. Right? And that is generally true. It's a proverb. It's not always true. I know plenty of godly men and women who raised their children in the Lord and taught them the gospel and yet their kids are not walking with the Lord. Is that their fault? No! It takes a miracle for dead people to come to life. 
And so in a similar way, this promise is, is proverbial. He's saying, generally speaking, if you obey your parents, things will go well for you. You'll live long. And the idea of living long is set in contrast with the penalties under the Old Covenant. So like, it was a lot more strict than it is today. If you disobeyed your parents persistently in the Old Covenant, uh, you, Deuteronomy prescribes, uh, ought to be stoned, right? You throw stones at you and kill you. If you cursed your parents, you were to be put to death. And so you see the contrast now. If you are disobedient to your parents, disrespectful to them, death. But if you are obeying your parents, life. What Paul's getting at here, he's kind of saying, look, if you obey your parents, you'll do all right on this earth. You'll do good, generally speaking. I say generally speaking because we know there are situations, there are exceptions. Not every obedient child lives unto old age. There are wonderful children who die in infancy before the age of 10. There are wonderfully, wonderful folks who are obedient to their parents who die in their, their 20s or 30s. And Jesus is the chief example of this. He obeyed His earthly parents and His heavenly Father perfectly. And yet He died young. The promise is meant to motivate us. We ought to be motivated by it. And yes, things are generally going to go well for me, God, if I obey Your Word. I trust Your Word. Perhaps they'll go really well in the short term, but definitely in the long term, things are going to go well for me. Obey your parents. This, this is serious business. Like It might not seem like it's serious business uh, when your mom tells you to take out the trash or clean your room or do the dishes or fold up your clothes and put them away. But do you know when you choose to disobey your parents in those moments, you're also choosing to disobey God. Your disobedience dishonors not just your parents, children, but also the Lord your God. Obey your parents. I'm going to say it a few times in case you missed it. Obey your parents. Obey your parents. That means no huffing and puffing and blowing the morale of your house down when they give you an assignment you don't want to do. It means having an attitude, a disposition that says, I am submitted to my mommy and my daddy. They love me and they want what is best for me. I'm going to obey them because it's right, because it's commanded, and because there is great reward in it. Uh, but children, I also want you to, to be sure to hear me here. Obedience to your parents will not make you right with God. Church, 
we've said this a few times as we've walked through Ephesians. The exhortations in chapters 4 through 6 are not telling us how to become Christians. They're instructions telling us how to live now that we are Christians. They're erected on that foundation of the doctrine which was laid in chapters 1 through 3, which tells us that God chose to save us, those who have faith, before the foundation of the world. Not because we were really good or really special, but because He is really good and because He wanted to. Ephesians tells us in chapter 2, we were dead in sin. And it's God who made us alive. And so, as you obey your parents, I don't want you to do so thinking that you are making yourself right with God. Only Jesus can do that for you. Jesus changes you, He makes you alive, He adopts you into His family, and then you live in a way that matches that. We who are in Christ have been born again, we've been raised from the dead, and so now we learn to walk in the newness of life. We who were orphans have been adopted into His family. And so now we learn to live in a way that is consistent with the family name. Friends, never lose context, the context of the Gospel, in light of the commands. We want to recognize where, what is fruit, the consequence of belief, and what the root is. Jesus saves us. None of our good deeds. All of us, oh God, nothing but gratitude. And it's out of our gratitude that we offer our lives as worship to Him. So children, obey your parents. Children should participate in corporate worship, obey their parents, and honor their parents. In church, we should support them in that endeavor. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for children. We thank You that all of us who have faith in You have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That we were at one time children of wrath, but now because of Christ Jesus our Lord, we have been made children of the light. Your children. We thank You that when children offer obedience to their parents, they are acting out how your children respond to your fatherly love and care with affectionate obedience. God, we pray that you would help us to be a church that is centered on the gospel, loves Jesus, welcomes children, and supports parents. Lord, we love you praise you, and we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.